0: all the elementary kids to their classrooms Well, the past couple of weeks we've been on a journey discovering the way of Jesus. We've we've learned that Jesus lived a life of constant downward mobility even though he was the king of kings he willingly became powerless in order to become a servant to others and he gave away everything he had and everything he was to care for other people we've been and we've been looking not just at what jesus said and did but how how he went about doing and saying those things and as bob said last week there are plenty of good things to be done in this world but how we do them is critical so today we're going to continue exploring the way of Jesus, and uh, particularly regarding the way in which he called his first disciples to follow him. And before we start, I have a confession to make, though. I've noticed that this sermon series has got some people talking. Before this sermon series, I never heard anyone use the term downward mobility. You know, you didn't really just walk in a coffee shop and hear people saying, Hey, how's downward mobility treating you? Is that a good lifestyle going for you? It was never, ever, ever in my vocabulary, in any slightest possible sense. And so I've had several conversations the past couple of weeks with people who are using this term a lot and bringing it up and evaluating this downward mobility with the lifestyle they're living and the things that they think they need or want in life and kind of comparing it to the way of Jesus. And for those of you that know me well, you know that I'm basically obsessed with the Kansas City Chiefs, okay? I never miss a game. I go to training camp several times. My home office is decked out in Chiefs decor. I read and follow Chiefs news literally every day, year-round, even during the brutal off-season. And so, um, if any of you are a Chiefs fan, I said some of you are up in some shirts. You know today is the kickoff to their season, so the game starts at noon. So do if you were planning on calling me this afternoon, you need to get that out of your head because I will not be available for about a three-hour time span. So, um, as I was kind of anticipating today's game, um, I pulled my wife aside. We were kind of hanging out at our house, and I told her, I was like, Hey, babe, I'd really like to kind of upgrade our soundbar this week. And she goes, Well, why do we need to upgrade our soundbar? And I was like, Well, you know, the Chiefs season kicks off, and our soundbar works fine, but I kind of want to, you know, I want to turn it up to 11 and kind of feel like I'm standing front row at Arrowhead Stadium. And she goes, she's kind of laughing, Okay, well, Justin, how much would the soundbar cost? I was like, Probably 200-ish or so. And she looked at me dead serious, people, in our kitchen and said, Justin, is buying a new sound bar the path of downward mobility? <laughs> that conversation was over. My heart was broken. Dreams shattered. So if you're making some sacrifices through this sermon series, you're not alone. I'm feeling the pain, people. I did not get my sound bar. So let's go ahead. Let's dive in and see what Scripture has to say about the way in which Jesus called his disciples to follow him. So open up to Mark 1. Should be page 699 if you're using a Pew Bible. Mark 1, starting in verse 16. Mark 116. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So the first thing to uncover from this passage are the four men that Jesus pursued and called to follow him. So he approached four men, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And all four of these guys were fishermen. And that's what makes this just bizarre. There was nothing prestigious about being a fisherman. Nothing special, significant. It really wasn't even that respectable. In his book, book, Twelve Ordinary Men... Author John MacArthur wrote that the twelve disciples were perfectly ordinary men in every way. Not one of them was renowned for scholarship or great education. They had no track record as orators or theologians. They were not outstanding because of any natural talents or intellectual abilities. On the contrary, they were all too prone to mistakes, misstatements, wrong attitudes, lapses of faith, and bitter failure. Even Jesus remarked that they were slow learners and somewhat spiritually dense. So these men that Jesus called were an untrained, uneducated, ragtag group of fishermen. And to put it in our context, if you and I were going to start a movement that would go on to change the course of world history, these guys would be the last on our list. We would say, hey, that's great that you want to help us and kind of join our cause, but there's 475 other people in front of you that's more qualified. So we're going to give them a shot. If none of them pan out, we might give you guys a call. And I know kind of in my life, as I've tried to build and grow ministries, I've always kind of focused externally on the cool kids, or the popular kids, or the charismatic kids, if you will. I've probably overlooked so many people, because I was focused on what they brought to the table, I often just ignored the condition of their heart and whether they were just hungry and humble. And just the fact that Jesus even chose these four guys is a testament to what Paul says here in um, 1 Corinthians. He wrote, God chose the foolish things, fishermen, of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So how do we view others? Do we view more on what God can do or just with what we can see with our human eyes? Do we look around and ask, who's hungry and humble? Or do we just look for the kids who are popular, who know how to work a crowd? Jesus' way is to see beyond the surface to the heart, choosing guys the world wouldn't expect. And he looked at these four men, and even though society had already labeled them, As average, he looked at them and believed that they had what it took to go on and spread his name to the ends of the earth. And the second thing we learn from Jesus' calling of his disciples is that the Jesus way is relational. So go ahead and open up your Bibles again. We're going to emphasize this more to the book of Matthew. So we're going to flip back a little bit. Matthew chapter 9. It should be page 680, I think. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. As as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this Jesus said, "It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." So in these two passages we see that Jesus' way is relational. He pursued people and went where they were. He knew these guys were fishermen. So he just walked along the shore and approached them. He knew Matthew was a tax collector. He went over to his tax collector's booth and approached him and said, Hey, come follow me. And as Bob talked about last week, um, he talked about some of the ways in which Satan tempted Jesus and how he uses a lot of those methods for us. We learned that the enemy's ways are the complete opposite of Jesus. They're always impersonal. In his book, The Jesus Way, Eugene Peterson wrote that the devil's temptation strategy is always depersonalized, carried out without love, without intimacy, without participation. And every time that we embrace ways other than the ways of Jesus, when we try to manipulate people or events in ways that short-circuit personal relationships and intimacy, we are doing the devil's work. And think about how many churches... I mean, even us in the past, you know, have sign-up sheets for people to get involved, whether it's Sunday school or some small group or whatnot. Jesus didn't have any sign saying, hey, come to this big event I'm going to host, and then maybe I'll persuade you. He didn't have sign-up sheets. He literally just intentionally pursued people. That's how he went on to build relationships. He approached them and went where they were and said, come and see, come follow me to get a taste of who God really is. The Jesus way always puts relationships at the center of life and any type of ministry activity. Turn now to the book of Luke. We're kind of all over. We're going to hit every gospel book at least once. You guys are going to be Bible wizards before today's over. Luke chapter 5. I think it's page 718. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little farther um, from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So another aspect here we learn of the way of Jesus is that. The Jesus way is to project a bigger picture and a bigger vision for people in their life of how God could use them. It's as if he kind of tells them, this is what I see for you. I know right now you think this is kind of it. You know, you're just a fisherman providing for yourself and maybe your wife and family. But I've got so much more for you. He told Simon, he said, hey, you know, throw your nets out one more time. You know, it's late, Simon. Didn't think he's actually going to catch anything. But God again wanted to show them this idea of kind of abundance. And that he is immeasurably more than capable of meeting all of their needs and deepest longing. And I kind of like to think in this scene that as Peter's, you know, drilling in all these fish. Jesus is just sitting there on the side of the boat thinking, you're so easily amused by these fish. Wait till you see what I have in store for you. Wait till you see what I got planned for you, buddy. So the way of Jesus is painting a bigger picture and a bigger vision for, for others of how God might use them. All right, so here's the, here's the final passage we're going to look at, we're going to spend some time on this. Open up to John chapter 1. Should be page 740. John chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So in this passage, we have John the Baptist hanging out with two of his disciples. Jesus walks by, and the second, John lays eyes on Jesus. He tells his disciples, that's the one. There he is. That's the chosen one of God. So John's disciples kind of leave him. They start following Jesus. And Jesus gently turns around and asks them, "What do you want?" And this may not seem like much, but this is huge. From this passage, we learn that Jesus is a question asker. Jesus is a question asker. He actually asked over a hundred questions in the New Testament. I'm going to show you just to uh, give you a few more examples of him asking people questions. Jesus asked the blind man, "What do you want me to do for you?" He asked his disciples, "Why are you so afraid?" He asked the sick woman who touched me and took the time to hear her story. He asked Peter, why did you doubt? Jesus asked his disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? And Jesus asked Mary, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Jesus was a question asker. And to be honest with you guys, it's taken me a long time to become a decent person question asker myself. I'm really not that good. I'm learning. Asking questions is kind of a big part of my job, expressing interest in the lives of other people. If I didn't express interest in the lives of other people, I probably wouldn't be a pastor very long. I would come across as very cold, cold hearted. I wouldn't be employed long. But back in high school, for those of you that knew me, in college, man, I never asked anybody questions that actually expressed like deep, you know, care for what was going on in their life. I was so immersed in my world and what I wanted and what I had plans that weekend or what my dreams were or my relationships. I really honestly just didn't really care about other people. And that came out by me not being a question asker and expressing genuine concern in their life. Thankfully, God got a hold of me and is still teaching me what it means to be a question asker. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is a little heavy. I'm not usually like this. But a big part of my job is hanging out with young people. For over four years, I've worked here at this church, and I've spent a lot of time with young adults. Lots of people, college age and in their 20s. And like how I used to be, I'm just being honest, one thing I've noticed and observed over four years is that most young people, not all, but most young people are not good (laughs) at asking questions. I've observed them in social settings. I've sat back and just watched them mingle and interact, and I've learned that young people really, really, really like to talk about what's going on in their life. How their school's going, how their work's going, how their week's been, what they're doing that cool weekend trip, what awesome summer adventure they're about to take, that new toy or gadget they bought that they want to share with. And this lack of, this, of, this lack of question asking discovery has kind of led me to play a game with people. I've done it a few times. They don't know I'm playing it. But typically, when I spend time with someone, I'm usually the one that has to initiate that lunch meeting or hangout or dinner or coffee or whatever. And then I'm usually the one that just leads the conversations. I think that's kind of just the thing being a pastor, you're kind of expected to do that. So I usually just start firing away questions, which is fine. I just, I love getting to know people. And sometimes, literally, I mean, I ask every question I can even possibly fathom. Like, dude, there is nothing else I could ask you like. I know every part about your life, it seems like. And so there's been a few times where I've played this game where actually I've probably asked someone 40 questions in one lunch meeting or dinner meeting, and they haven't asked me anything. And so I play this game. I don't tell them, but I said, you know what? I'm going to sit here in silence and see how long it takes for them just to ask me one thing. Just, how are you? How's your week? I mean, anything generic. The longest I've ever had to wait was five minutes. You know how long five minutes is? When you're at a dinner with someone one-on-one, and you've asked them about 45 questions about their life, five minutes, you know? It's like really awkward. You can only look at your phone so many times and check the time. It's kind of like, waiter, check please, you know? I know some of you would get that joke. Um, one of the professors at my seminary college, too, he shared the story along this discovery of people just not asking questions. And he said he knew a, a group of, of entrepreneurs on the West Coast who discovered this phenomenon. And so they started setting up listening booths. They wanted to make some money and capitalize on this issue of people wanting to be heard, but nobody asking questions. So they set up listening booths in malls and public places. They charged $25 for a 30-minute session. And people, these people came, sat at this booth, talked for 30 minutes. The person on the opposite side was sworn to secrecy, and they didn't even respond. All they could do was just nod and acknowledge that they heard what was said. And the business exploded, he said, and long lines filled up at every location. People shouldn't have to pay random strangers big money just to listen to them. That's pretty messed up. That's our job as the church, as Christians, and honestly just as friends. It's our job to express interest in people's life by asking questions. That's the way of Jesus. So to do kind of a quick recap today, um, before we continue, we've learned the Jesus way is to see beyond the surface to the heart, the Jesus way is relational, the Jesus way is to paint a bigger picture for others of how God might use them, and we learned that the Jesus way is to show genuine care and interest in the lives of people by being a great question asker. And I think if all these could kind of be summed up and kind of put under one umbrella, it would be just this aspect that Jesus was extremely personal and relational. You can't see beyond the surface to the heart of someone if you don't have some type of relationship with them. You can't encourage folks to follow you as you follow Christ if you don't have a relationship with them. You can't paint a bigger picture for someone of how God can use them if you don't know their story or their passion or their talents and gifts. And you can't have a meaningful relationship with someone if you don't ask them questions. And while I think most of us would agree, yeah, Jesus was relational. Yeah, and we should probably follow his footsteps. I think it's really hard for us, especially when we live in this country. Because our culture tells us to go inside our climate-controlled homes and enjoy the safety and security that they bring, right? Many of us have nice fenced-in yards, maybe a nice deck that kind of seclude us from others around us, kind of, you know, shut the world out, if you will. We've put... Safety and comfort so far at the top of our priorities, I think sometimes it plays a role in hindering us from wanting to get involved in the messy and hard work of building relationships. We also have everything we need to distract us. We have instant access to our cell phones, television, computers, laptops, tablets, you name it. we got this thing called social media, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these can give us this false sense of connecting, but for those of us that have those, we know you can have a million friends and followers, but it doesn't mean you actually know any one of those people in a deep way. And the crazy thing about social media, I never really thought about this until I was preparing this sermon, is that social media actually feeds into our self-centeredness. Social media is basically nothing but a platform for us to once again share what we want to talk about, share what's on our minds, what we think about that political issue or that topic, or that controversy, share people what we're doing this weekend, that cool trip we're about to take, or that new car that we bought. Rarely do we use it to ask questions. I think our time on social media, and even this is for myself too often in day to day life, can sometimes be summed up by the great American country artist Toby Keith when he wrote, I wanna talk about me, I wanna talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I want to talk about me. Thank you, Toby Keith. <laughs> now, we've covered kind of a lot of material today, and we're going we're gonna to wrap it up on bringing it in. I'd kind of like to hear from maybe just a couple of you guys if you're willing to share. What would be just maybe one thing that you'll take away today as we've examined just several aspects of the way of Jesus and you've maybe compared them to your life? Maybe something you've been encouraged by or challenged by? What's one thing that you might take away that we've discussed today regarding the way of Jesus? Anybody, Bueller? Yes, Steve. Yes, talking less and asking more questions, absolutely. Does that hit home with you? Is that something you're not good at or something you're really good at? You know what, um, Justin, I you to do that better. All right, we can grow in asking questions. Thank you for asking questions. Yes. You're welcome. Anybody else? Yes. Summer? Well, um, one of the things Russ and I have been talking about is our, our daughter is very, very relational, and mm. Mm. And we've been, like, not wanting her to have play dates because that means that we're going to then have to try to get to know Mm. the parents Yeah, that's good. Yeah, they said their daughter really wants to have a lot of people over, but they kind of have social anxiety, and so they know God's stretching them in that area to be more relational. So that's great. You know, as we consider the way of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves if we're being relational in the way in which he was relational. Do we keep ourselves kind of at a distance from others and not want to get involved socially or relationally? Are we intentional at asking questions and expressing interest in the lives of others? Do we see beyond the surface and paint a bigger vision for people rather than watching them settle for something less than what God has for them? This is the way of Jesus, and if we claim to follow him, then we must follow in his footsteps. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. It's so encouraging to just to read. I know we looked at a lot, just different accounts of how you called just these just these fishermen, these losers in a way, to just follow you, God, and the way in which you did that, God. And I love that you were a question asker. That is one of the biggest ways that we can show people that we care is just expressing interest in their lives, God. Jesus, I pray that you would show us the ways in which we need to grow in these areas, God. If there's people that we know we need to start asking more questions to get to know them more, God, help us to do that. If there's people that we're watching them settle for something less than what you have them for them or just created for them, God. Help us to step out and just call them to a higher level of living, to live into the person that you've really created them to be, God. And I pray that we won't fix our eyes on the external, God, but we'll look around us and see people, God, who are just hungry and humble for us to love on and just to just kind of show them your love in more meaningful and deeper ways. God, we thank you for this time together. I pray that you'll just um, just be with us as we go throughout this week in your name. Amen. Just stand with us before we sing uh, one last song.